boy or girl, brown, pink or black or white. And welcome back to Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy, the podcast for kids musicians by a kids musician, which is me, still remains me. And this week we're reaching out to the Midwest, which extends much further than I always thought it did. Somehow, like Pittsburgh is in the Midwest, but that's not West, nor is it Mid. Anyway, but we're not going to Pittsburgh. We're going the other way, to the lakes. We're going to Chicago, the Windy City. And we're going to talk to a musician there who has definitely made her mark on that area, made her mark, I think, in the kindy scene, because I keep seeing her name come up all over the place. And it and it's funny, she plays an ovation guitar. I have an ovation guitar. I saw a picture of her playing this ovation guitar. It was this nice sandy beechwood looking uh, thing from what looks like maybe college days. And then I saw a video of her just the other day playing an ovation that looks almost exactly the same. So I'm very curious to ask her if it is in fact the same. Well, I could just ask you that question right now. Well, welcome to the barn banter there, Laura Darty. How are you? I'm good. Hi, Andy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So is it the same ovation? It is. I've had that ovation since high school, actually. Um, and it's the, I think it's called the Custom Balladeer. Okay. Um, and is that yeah. It's a little bit more narrow back on that um, one, or is it the fullback? It's the fullback. Oh. The first and guitar I bought was the Ovation Ultra in the same, it's like a smoky, smoky gray. And I got that in 88, bought it new. It was like the biggest purchase I ever made in my life was, uh, yeah, was going I for the Ovation. Yeah, I got mine in 86, 87, I think. Oh, nice. I love ovations. Um bought me, I because I learned to play guitar on a, like a smaller, um, not a toy guitar, but just a, a just a, a little bit more of a children's size guitar that we had lying around in our basement. And then when I, you know, my parents saw that I was really playing a lot and my mom got me, the, I think she got it for me for my 17th birthday, the oh. ovation. And I, I still have it. I love it. I still play it. Oh, neat. Is it wired? Can you plug it in? Or yeah, is it, it is cool. Plug it in. And, um, I, I was taking guitar lessons and my guitar teacher said, um, get an ovation cause they have a really smooth fretboard and it's true. They have a, it, it just it feels it feels like butter when you're playing. Oh yeah, it's a little bit uh, narrow. The neck is also a little bit narrower, I find, so it's easier to to get yes. chords and stuff. Um, but boy, they can also be a bear to play as far as uh, finger strength. You really you kind of have to have some pretty good finger strength to 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 get the good tone. I, yes, I had a um, I had a twelve string ovation that mm -hmm. I bought when I was living in Anchorage, Alaska, and it was brown, and I. Just I I adored that guitar, the tone and everything. Twelve strings can be kind of funny because if you play them too much, they just sound, they just have such a sound to them. They get so bright yeah. and big. Yeah. Um, but War and there was a Warren Zevon album where he was playing uh, pretty much the exact same guitar, and I was like, oh my god, how many of these are there? This could be Warren Zevon's guitar. And then <laughs> as time went on, a good friend of mine. Um, fell in love with the guitar too and she wanted to buy it and so i she i gave her a heck of a deal and it was the right thing to do at the right time but i always kind of regret getting rid of that guitar or... oh well can i tell you the story about my ovation please so okay like i said i got it when i was 17 and i played that's the guitar i had for forever um i mean i have since gotten i have a martin and a taylor but um anyway so years and years years go by and I, I had 
it, back in 2012, I had moved to New York where I grew up. So I moved like back to New York for, I didn't last very long. I was there for seven months. <laughs> so it was sort of like a sabbatical. Um, but when I was moving, I was packing up everything and I had um, a plumber over, my friend Lisa, she was helping me with some plumbing like like two days before I was moving. And my ovation, the, the, top, of the, the top of the guitar had broken off from the, the back of it. And so it's basically just like a piece of decoration at, mm -hmm. you know, at that point. And so I gave the guitar to the plumber, Lisa, because she had little kids. And I said, oh, I said, this is kind of sentimental for me, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not really playable at this point. So, you know, you can have it. Why don't you take it? Because I couldn't fit it. I was, my car was stuffed. The moving truck was stuffed. I couldn't fit one more guitar. Mm -hmm. so I gave it to her. And then seven months later, I moved back to Chicago and there's this wonderful thing in Chicago called community glue. And it's um, a group of volunteers that get together once a month on a Sunday and they fix things for people. Like you have a broken lamp, you have a broken toaster. And there's a, was a guy there, a luthier that fixed instruments, fixed guitars. And so I went to the event and my friend Lisa was there and she handed me back my guitar fully restored. And oh. she said, Laura, we knew you were moving back to Chicago and we got this fixed for you and we want you to have it back. And I was so touched by that. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> so, and it's, so it's now playable and I've been, um, I've been playing it just more and more lately. Um, so that's my ovation, ovation guitar. And I'm glad that it's still in my life. That's a much better story than mine. That's a much better ovation guitar story than mine. <laughs> we'll go with yours, okay? Yeah, yours is the better story. <laughs> okay, so Laura, let's talk a little bit about... Um, so when we set up this interview, I said, you said, well, what should we talk about? And, you know, in general, I like to do peer-to-peer -peer things. I, I would like... It's the idea that you're giving your own TED Talk on something that you're really good at or something that you've learned as a musician for children, kids, and families to either grow professionally or grow creatively or tips and tricks that you learned could be about gear, could be about anything. And with you, because uh, be doing this professionally for a bit and have a unique perspective, I was like, look, just bring your top three, bring the three things that if you were sitting across the table, having a cup of Bengal spice tea uh, from a, a musician, a, a young performer who's like, I want to get into kids music. What, what, what would you tell them were the three things that you've learned that would probably help the most? And I don't know what they are because you didn't tell me. And I was like, no, don't tell me. So we can just sort of, you know, uh, figure it out as we go. So if you're ready, why don't you start by giving us uh, two minutes of how you got into the biz and how you work currently as a musician uh, for, for kids. And then we'll just roll into what your top, your big three are. Well, I got my start in children's music uh, by working at a wonderful school in Chicago, the Old Town School of Folk Music. I discovered that shortly. I, I moved to Chicago in 92 in college. And um, I, I first discovered the school and I was a student at the school. And they offer all kinds of guitar classes and classes in dance and drumming. And just it's 
wonderful. It's the largest folk music school in the country, actually. Mm-hmm. And so I was a student there and a volunteer. And eventually I just kept hanging around there. And I thought, gosh, I would love to work here. <laughs> and so it, it, it eventually worked out. Um, the school in 1998, they were expanding and opening up a, a larger location. So it was kind of like the right place. I was at the right place at the right time. And I got hired to teach uh First got hired to teach adult guitar classes because I had already been playing guitar for, I don't know how many, 10 years at that point. Um, And then I got hired to teach kids classes. It's a program called Wiggle Worms, which is for kids and parents, for kids basically age three and under. And so I found that I absolutely loved that. I just took to that right away. It was just I, I just knew I was like, this is my calling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was, you know, it was a very part-time job at, at first, um, but it quickly expanded into a, um, I got hired um, as an administrator to work at the school. So though, so I worked a full-time job and then taught extra classes on the side. Mm-hmm. So I did that for 10 years. I was, uh, I ran their Wiggleworms children's program, always taught on the side and started doing birthday parties and, um, performing at festivals and after 10 years then I started writing my own songs for kids I I had always written songs I'd always done music as a hobby you know so it slowly turned into a career it wasn't like it wasn't like a one fell swoop it just kind of slowly evolved into a a full-time career and so uh, I still work at the music school but I left in 2009 I thought why I said maybe I can you know be a children's performer full time because <laughs> I saw different avenues to, I, I knew my music was, it, it had an educational side to it. So I thought I can work in schools and I can do shows at libraries and, and I was already doing a little bit of it. And I thought maybe I can really, you know, go for it and do this full time. So and it's been 10 years now. Mm. Um, so, and I, I, yeah, in 2009, I recorded my first kids record and it got some good feedback. And I went to Kindy, well, it was Kindy Fest back then, just met more children's musicians and I just kind of ran with it from there. When you when you started playing out, was that with the heartbeats or did that come later? Because I've seen pictures of you and heard heard some stuff where you're playing with like uh, six, I mean, there's six people on stage, a six person band. Yeah. So how did the heartbeats come into the the thing i met most of the ba- the band at old town school most of them teach over there some of them teach on their own they were um s- some are part-time musicians but yeah i met them all at the school at first i had people recording on my records and then over the years i mean they were kind of hired musicians at first but then you know these guys are so talented and so great so i thought well let me let me see if i can kind of form a band here mm-hmm. <laughs> so and they play in all sorts of other bands too but when i can i i don't often have the full band but maybe two or three times a year i play with like all six of us and then i mean i play anywhere from solo duo trio four piece five piece mm-hmm. <laughs> you know just it's it's basically it's dependent on budgets of of uh, venues and places and what, you know, what their budget is. And then I kind of figure out who I can bring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do. And then when I travel, I sometimes travel with one or two of the heartbeats. It's really difficult to travel with everybody. 
taking care of their, you know, airfare and hotel and everything. It, oh, yeah. It, I did a little bit of that and figured out, ooh, yeah, I'm $1,500 in the hole. <laughs> I thought, okay, I got to rework my plan here. So, <laughs> yeah, I there are times, though, when I can sometimes bring out one or two people. And it's so, it, I, I would prefer to do every gig with the band. I mean, it's so fun to play. I love collaborating with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do a, definitely a lot of solo shows um, just because that's where budgets are at and so forth. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay, so about how many gigs do you do a year, do you think, then? Well, most of them are packed within like 10 weeks in the summer, mm-hmm. <laughs> June, July, and August. I wish it was a little more spread out, but... um I would say maybe 75 to 100. Wow. That's busy, especially because yeah. like just during summer months. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how it is in Chicago, but here, once the winter comes, you know, you, you can't play outdoors. Anymore. I know Chicago, you can't, you would not want to play in November outside. No, definitely uh, not. And other than Old Town, is there, are, are there venues that are kind of good for families year-round community centers churches things like that um yeah so i mean for me so i make my living like during the school year i teach at four or five different preschools daycare centers so i do classes and and old town school and then i do some gigs on the weekends it's not as consistent as in the summer but yeah there's actually a few clubs um like rock clubs in chicago that do kids shows on the weekends at Hmm. 11 or noon you know the parents come down have a bloody mary and you know and the kids can run around and and dance you know the big dance floor so there's those kinds of venues i typically only do one or two show two of those kinds of shows in the winter because they're ticketed and um you know it's hard to then you rely on ticket sales which can Mm -hmm. be tough but yeah, there's de- there's a few of those, and yeah, there's all sorts of winter, you know, indoor winter activities. So once it hits May here, like from May to September, I try to never schedule something indoors that's ticketed because nobody will come. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. be outside, <laughs> <laughs> especially so, with those three year olds that are full of energy and they just want to go. So you know, it's yeah, one thing so- to go around and around on a dance floor. When it's cold outside, it's another thing when it's like, you know, blue skies and sunny. I mean, if it's if it's even 50 or 60 degrees, like on a winter weekend and you have a show, that can kill a show's attendance. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Old Town School is really one of the great resources for folk music. Mm-hmm. And I see this really consistently and it's not a path that I have taken from a creative standpoint, mm-hmm. but there seems to be a really strong connection between... Yeah, folk music, traditional folk music, and ch- children's music, music for for children. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do you feel that connection? Do you follow that sort of vibe? Absolutely, they kind of go hand in hand for me. I mean, because I didn't I didn't grow up listening to folk music or that much children's music actually. Um, but I, I came from, um, I mean, when I, I was a kid in the eighties and you know, so listen to all the eighties music, but then I also love, love, loved all the sixties, seventies, acoustic rock, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Beatles, uh, all that classic rock and that kind of folk music, but not, 
um, I didn't really know about traditional folk music like Woody Guthrie and oops, Pete Seeger. I, I really didn't learn about all that until I came to Old Town School. Um, and now, I mean, now it's like in my heart, I love all that music. Um, and yeah, I, maybe it's um, the acoustic instruments that are used in folk, folk mm -hmm. music. Um, also the passing down of, you know, how folk songs, they get passed down and lyrics might change and, and, and that that's okay. It's folk music. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but yeah, no, they yeah. Do. it's, it's, it's an open-ended question just to, because, because there's something going on with, um, with old town school and the roots of, of Americana folk. Mm -hmm. And then also the fact that they offer so many resources for children and families yeah. in that genre, that there's, there is a symbiotic, I don't know if that's really true. Mm -hmm. There's a yin and a yang thing going on there, I think. Well, and I think it's like a lot of folk songs have call and response, and that's so good for children, you know, doing the echo of the, the song. I'm going to sing this part, now you sing it back to me. I think it's good for children's <laughs> performers, too, because it gives us something to do. <laughs> in some way to keep them from all wandering away. <laughs> no, wait, come. Yeah. No, put your arms in the air. Yes, okay, now we're doing it. Now we're good. Like Ella Jenkins, she's she's from Chicago. She, you know, she's been called the queen of children's music. Mm -hmm. um, she's, I think she's 95 or 96 now. I don't think she's performing too much anymore. Um, but she performed concerts at Old Town all the time. And all anybody that grew up in Chicago has said to me, Oh, Ella Jenkins came to my school when I was little. And this kind of gets into one of my my things about learning about children's music. Shall we do it? Yeah. All right, um, let's jump into the here's and and uh, uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, straight from Chicago, <laughs> the three things that you need to know as presented by Laura Doherty. Take it away. Well, one thing that I've learned from Ella watching her do her when she did her concerts um is to to just go slow go slower when introducing us a, a new song to children and it's okay to repeat Re repetition is so good for kids mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean i know we probably all know that but um sometimes i forget like sometimes i'm barreling through something with um four and five year olds and you kind of, you know, you can tell on their face, you get a look like you're just, and I realized, oh, I'm going too fast. And so one thing I s would see Ella do is just, she'd quietly ha like have a kid on stage and she would firmly tell them something, but in a gentle manner too. Mm -hmm. um, and just, but she would do it, yeah, in this gentle kind of slow way that the kids felt comfortable. And I've even seen her have a group of, dads on hand uh, on stage in a circle holding hands and i'm like oh my gosh how do you do that mm -hmm. <laughs> and so i just seeing some of the things that she does reminds me that um you know i mean kids love to jump and dance and run around but you but you don't have to be frenetic all the time you can you can slow down i even learned from another teacher that if the kids are getting wild just whisper whisper like this if you whisper um, and then that gets everybody's attention. So just little tricks like that I've learned from from different teachers, and and I mean I use them in in concerts too. Wow did you did you play much with Ella? Like do you know her? I do I do know her. Um, 
I, we, we used to book her for workshops at old town school. So she would come and do workshops for teachers. Um, and I've been to a few of her shows. Um, and I, I don't think I've actually sat down and, and played with her, but mm. we've been in contact through old town school and stuff. So that concept of going slow is kind of, tr- that's kind of tricky for me to a certain extent, because we don't, we do some library gigs and some small venue stuff, but a lot of what we do are stages for, um, you know, kids fest down the city in the city park where we're up in the band shell and Mm -hmm. we're playing and people are wandering around and you're doing Mm -hmm. everything that you can to get people's attention and keep them engaged with where you are. Yes. So because it's good business and it's what you're hired to do, if you can get 10 people, that's fine. But if you can get 50 people or 250 people to all be there sort of participating yeah. in the call and response or dance movements or silly songs or, or whatever it is, then that's when I feel like we're being successful at the gig we were, you know. Yes. Background music is one thing, but engaging is another. Yes. And it seems in those situations, my default is to like be like the Ramones. Like the minute you finish one song, you're just like, one, two, three, four. And you're just like, whoosh, you're right into the next one just to kind of keep it going and keep that energy really yeah. above 80%. But yeah. So slowing, but I, but I see the value of slowing down even in that. Well, yeah. And, I, you know, I'm, as I'm thinking about this, I'm probably thinking a little bit more when I'm in the classroom with, with kids. Yeah. So I, you're right. It is a different, it's a, it's a different experience when you're on stage with a, with a band. Absolutely. Um, Cause on the other hand, let's say the other thing that I've learned uh, and this might be just the complete opposite of what I just said, but are we going to number two? This would be number two. Yeah. Number two, 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 two. <laughs> I do my own echo. Uh, and I, it's crazy that I just learned this within the past year that I, so I would, particularly like at libraries, I would start a show and I'd be singing something that maybe wasn't very upbeat. Uh, or I would just be singing a hello song, but it wasn't a song where they're up jumping right away. And the kids would be staring at me like, like that, like just staring. And I'm thinking, Oh gosh, like, are they having fun? You know, in the very first song. And so I started to change because I, I think what happens is like kids file in, especially at a school or library, they file in, they sit down and they're told so much in their life, sit down, be quiet. You know, like when they're used in school, especially like they're just, they're told to, you know, sit down, sit down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think I sort of have changed to get them up moving right away in the first song that I do, especially this is more when I'm solo. Actually, Mm -hmm. I have a song called heartbeat they jump, they swim, they dance. And then I have a song called, well, that's actually, I start a lot with that one, the heartbeat song, because it gets them once they have permission to stand up and jump, mm-hmm. it's like a whole world has opened up for them. Oh, I'm allowed. I can jump. It's not, and it's not that I said, no, you can't jump, but they, I think they just don't know they're allowed to do it until you, you tell them sometimes. So right. it's so interesting. And I just discovered that like last summer, because I would start with like, I have this hello song that's like kind of wordy. It's called make a friend, but it's, it's got a lot of words in it. Um, 
And I decided I'm going to start with something like upbeat right off the bat. And then it's just like, it makes all the kids feel comfortable. So, and then maybe two or three songs in, I might play something a little slower, but so yeah, my, I, my, the first, my first thing was a little bit more for classroom use. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're looking at different aspects of the performance. Even if you're only, I only have f- four kids that you're singing to, engaging them right out of the bat and making that connection, making that relationship um, not so transparent. That's another good point is sometimes I'll, you play a show, me, uh, this has happened to me, and there's one child there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I played at a library last summer and there was one um, sweet girl. She was probably 10. And my, my music kind of skews like ages zero to eight, may, maybe up to 10. Um, and so the one thing I really was trying to remember is give, give the show that you would give if there was a hundred people in the room, mm-hmm. which I know is hard when it's just one person, you know what? And so, you know, cause it, it, it could be so easy to get derailed if there's only one person there, you know? And well, so, and especially if you're doing this by yourself was if it's a solo show. Mm-hmm. Well, and because she was a little bit older, this one thing I've done with when older kids come is I just get them as involved, like, Hey, why don't you take the drum solo on that? And I hand her the bongos and I just get them on stage, whatever, wherever that stage is, it might be in front of like the books at the library. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I get them and I, you know, I get them involved. Like they're, they're a part of the show. Especially if I get like, sometimes I get teenagers in the show I do. I play at the the city of Chicago libraries in the summer, and it they list them for all ages zero to sixteen, mm-hmm. and it's really tough. I've, I've I so I've had to you know think on my feet quickly to make sure because the little kids are always going to be engaged. It's the older ones that you know. I don't want them to say, "Oh, this is baby, this is a little babyish." You know, <laughs> I want them. So I just hook them in. I say, "Bring them up on stage." We might sing, you know, sing something a little more current, like a pop hit that they would know. Yeah. Speaking of, did you say, and it's funny, it's that um, Old Town, Old Town. Did I see something on Facebook about you having to learn Old Town Road? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Another children's performer, Marsha Goodwin, we were just chatting about that. And she, she, yes, she just sent me um, the the lyrics. I know it's it's just four chords, but... um, it's got so many words in it. And she said, Oh, I, I cut out the second verse cause it's not as kid friendly. I said, Oh, please send that to me. <laughs> so that's the nice thing is in the children's music community. Like there's so many amazing, talented people and everybody supports each other. It's really, it's really great. Yes. I don't know that song. I've either at some point I, I realized, cause even like my kids were playing it. I knew that they were playing it for, like in their piano lessons or something. Um, but I never, I, I don't know if I've ever heard that song ever. And, and so, and now it's to the point, it's like, I avoid the song because everyone's like, oh yeah, it's Old Town Road. It's a, you know, 2019, well, it was like the song of the year, right? You know? Last summer, yeah, I was in an Uber and the Uber driver, we were just t- chatting about what kids are listening to these days. And he's like, Oh, the kids are listening to this. And he put it on. And that was the first time I had heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just became, yeah, all the kids knew it 
yeah, last summer. Yeah. Uh, and then there's also the the floss, the floss dance. That's still going strong. <laughs> right. I was I was playing a show about a year ago. And it was a grade school. It was a fifth grade graduation. So we were playing like in the playground. It was really cool. And so I'm playing one of our songs. And it's kind of like a da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's like kind of going along. And like it comes to this sort of instrumental break. And I said, okay, everybody floss. Now, I had no idea what that was. Like I kind of knew that it was like I'd seen kids doing it. But and suddenly in in the back row, like these like six kids, these six uh, young boys, who had, up to that point had been really arms folded. But mm-hmm. the minute I yelled that, eyes got big. They stood up and, man, they just jumped into it. And I was like, okay, so this is a thing. I'm going to remember yeah. this. This was like, this like, ah, ah. <laughs> and all these kids are doing this dance. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. It's a way to hook in like the third, fourth, and fifth graders, I think. <laughs> T- totally, totally. Okay, so first thing. Slow it down, go slow, especially when you're giving instruction. Second thing, go big on the first song. Rope them in right away. Get that get that hook in them, barbed hook yep. of, of fun. Mm-hmm. And now, number three. What, what do I want to say? I didn't have I didn't have like a specific thing for number three. Number three. It was more just like number three find the joy in, in being present with kids. Like I, I love that kids, you know, it, it forces you to be in the present moment with them. And I, I love that. Like that helps me in my own life. Was, I, I feel like as adults and grownups, we're, we're planning so much. You're planning your next gigs. You're planning your classes. You're planning your life. Everything's planned. You're planning to meet up with people. And what I love about working with kids, um, is that they, it, they just, it, it, it makes me feel like a kid almost. Like it's that, it brings me back to the time in my life where you just had less cares in the world. You just, you just were there in the present moment and that play, just the importance of, of play. Um, there's another children's performer here, um, an educator, Jim Gill. He's from um, outside of Chicago, Oak Park. And I think he has a, his whole theme is that, is that play is important. Hmm. it's not just play it's not just frivolous it's like it's so important you know as well as learning and going to school you can learn when you're you're playing Mm -hmm. so so being being present with kids um just remembering the importance of that that's a challenge though you say you play you know 70 to 80 gigs during the summer and i have to think that the set list that you pick is probably pretty consistent or, or is it? I should assume that. When you go to play some of these gigs, do you play pretty much the same set every time? No, never. Do you build a set list before you go or or just sort of make it up as you go? My set list when I'm solo is in my head at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I I've, I very much go with with the crowd that day. If there's little, little, little kids, I'll do more stuff appropriate for little ones. I'm a very improvisational performer and teacher. Now, when I'm with my band, I stick to a set list pretty much. And my guys and girls, both of my band, the people in my band, they are also very, they're pretty good at working on the spot. If I say, oh, let's do the hula hoop song instead of this one. They're like, okay, we got it, Laura, no problem. The reason I'm improvisational, I think, is when I was in my early 20s, I took 
some improv classes. I, that's one thing I would recommend to everybody in life is to, if you can, take an improv class. And Chicago is such a big place for improv. Mm-hmm. We had Second City and Improv Olympic. And I, I, I was very shy when I was all up through my 20s. I was like a pretty shy person. And I started taking improv classes to help with stage banter i was because i was doing open mics at night and i i was fine when i'm when i'm singing and playing i'm comfortable and then in between songs i was kind of quiet and shy and so i took an improv class i I saw a friend do it and i was like this is so cool i i learned so i honestly i i did it for fun but i learned to be a good teacher in those classes just organically i just i can think on my feet and and change things around and i mean it's almost probably i might be a little too improvisational (laughs) (laughs) um it's for me i feel like it has helped me in my life and especially for this kind of career um it has helped wow okay so (laughs) okay so that's three and a half points but that's okay (laughs) bonus round that was fine so let's but let's get back to the idea of being present so because with a band where you have a set list and you're, you're rolling in, you want to feel comfortable and you, it's timed. You have two hours or you only have 45 minutes. So you do kind of have to manage different expectations. My experience has been that when I have that set set list mm-hmm. by weeks three or four into the season, I suspect the quality of the performance starts to suffer a bit as I'm playing the same thing that goes into the next thing. And I'm thinking more about process than the art and maybe a little bit and still engaging with the crowd as much as I can, but not having to divert as much attention to being present right during that time, because I know because the album is playing in my head of songs and what we what I have to do. Uh-huh. Whereas if you don't have that and you have to read the crowd and you have to be in those uncomfortable little plastic seats that are only, you know, 14 inches tall down at eye level, then you have, it it requires you to be present. I mean, you have to actually be there Yeah. because they are right there. I'm moving my hand like to my nose because that's, you know, because that's how little kids, you know, like to be sometimes. I never get tired of playing, even though I've played a song a thousand times, any one of my songs I know the song. I'm not going to forget the song because I, you know, played it so much. But I, I just focus on their reaction, what they're doing with the song. So it it it, it doesn't, at least not yet. It doesn't get boring. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> I have a couple songs I'm like, but they're 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 such big favorites that I want to play them. And I, I wonder that about performers too. Like the Indigo Girls, their famous song is "Closer to Fine." And they play it at every show. And I always wonder, do they get sick of it? But And I never get sick of hearing it. Like there's certain songs that just mean a lot. I, I'm happy playing playing my songs till, until, the, until I can no longer play them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would be disappointed if I went to a show and the performer didn't play that one song that I, I really liked. And I don't think right. that they have to be superstars to have that expectation. When I when we play, kids come up and it's always a delight and a surprise when they're like, oh, play that song. And I'm like, I didn't know anybody even was paying attention, but okay, you've heard, <laughs> you know the song. So yeah, we'll do it. And that's such a, it's very gratifying. It's very cool to have that happen. 
Yeah. Even if I don't feel like playing it at the time. We were talking before uh, before this conversation about one of your songs that I really appreciate. Uh, that you, in this, in the same sense, it's like when you don't understand what's going to resonate. You don't understand which which, which tunes that you do or record are going to strike that nerve. And we were talking about the about your song, um, Farmers Market. Yes. Tell me a little bit about uh, about that song. Tell, and what I'm curious about is. I'm curious not only about how you felt about it when you were recording it and developing it, and then how you felt about it when you released it and it got it out there, but then and and how you feel about it now. So that song's on my first album, Kids in the City, and I wrote it in the car on the way back from. um, I went to the Children's Music Network conference. That's another group Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. gathers, and they 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 often come around to the Chicago area and I was driving back with my friend Shana. And this was kind of when this whole album was kind of marinating in my brain. And so we were just kind of singing verses back and forth. Um, And yeah, I thought, wouldn't it be fun to, if you kept adding things on to put in your basket at the farmer's market. So and then my friend Susie played banjo on it in the studio. And the, the idea for my first record was all the instruments were acoustic. So I worked with my, my producer, Rich Rankin is his name. We decided, okay, no electric guitar, no, like nothing plugged in. That was just something we thought, wouldn't that be nice? So anyway, we recorded it and kids seemed to love it. I always thought it was like, a little too repetitious, but of course, you know, kids love repetition. Mm-hmm. And so the story is um, there is a farmer's market in my neighborhood. I live in Andersonville in Chicago. Every Wednesday afternoon, there's a farmer's market here and I always walk up and I go through and I get my fruits and veggies. And I was walking in a couple of years ago, just walking into the farmer's market and I I hear a mom, I see a mom with her daughter and she's walking in and she's singing the chorus of my song to her child. Let's go to the farmer's market, fresh food to eat. And that just like tickled me. Like I, I thought, oh, well, I didn't know who she, I didn't really know who she was. And I, I said, oh, I said, you're singing my song. <laughs> and she was like, oh my God, you're Laura Doherty. Like it was this fun moment. And it just, it made me happy. It made me realize like, I'm, I'm this, this career path I'm on it. I'm doing a good, this is a good path for me. And what it's stories like that, that keep me going. Like sometimes I get discouraged and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure every artist and musician has gone through this where, you know, the, the business, the business part of it is hard. It's hard to book gigs. It's hard to promote yourself every day. It's hard. Like it, it gets hard. But when I have moments like that, and it, it just makes me realize like, oh, this is, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my career and my life. Like this is, this is who I am. So that's the story with Farmer's Market. I like that story very much. And I think this, at this point, we're going to have to listen to it. Go to the farmer's market, fresh food to eat. Lots of fruits and vegetables, enough for you and me. 
blueberries, blackberries, strawberries too. Put them in our basket, enough for me and you. Let's go to the farmer's market, fresh food to eat. Lots of fruits and vegetables, enough for you and me. Tomatoes, potatoes, and broccoli. Onions and carrots and zucchini. Blueberries, blackberries, strawberries too. Put them in our basket, enough for me and you. Let's go to the farmer's market, fresh food to eat. Lots of fruits and vegetables, enough for you and me. Peaches, mangoes, apples and kiwi, lettuce and spinach and lots of green peas. Tomatoes, potatoes and broccoli, onions, carrots and zucchini. Blackberries, blackberries, strawberries too. Put them in our basket, enough for me and you. Let's go to the farmer's market, fresh food to eat. Lots of fruits and vegetables, enough for you and me. Honey, cheeses and fresh baked pies. Herbs and flowers right before your eyes Peaches, mangoes, apples, kiwi Lettuce and spinach and lots of green peas Tomatoes, potatoes and broccoli Onions, carrots and zucchini Blueberries, blackberries, strawberries too Put them in our basket Enough for me and you. Wow, that was that was really nice. I mean, that's that's the the music and the song lend itself to the story that you told because there's that sense of community and that sense of being. And I am a, just a big geek when it comes to farmers markets. We have fantastic <laughs> farmers markets. So, oh, so, so thanks thank for you. that. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, so to recap, the three things: go slow, which means. Uh, repetition, that was actually something you talked about with Farmer's Market. And I was like, oh, that kind of sounds like number one. Repetition in songs are fine. Because tying into number two, who's your audience, really? Your audience are these kids that you want to engage and get going. So repetition, it's a, if it's for them, it's okay to ask them six times the same question in a song. You know, <laughs> what'd you have for breakfast? And they get to yell. And what'd you have for breakfast? And they get to yell. And they have a different sense of humor and a different perspective. And for for them, maybe that's really cool. And if you're 13, maybe that's not. But eh, who are we singing for? So <laughs> slow it down, hook them in with the first song, make it big, and then be present during your performance with them and find, as you said, find the find the joy in that. Is that, mm-hmm. is that, is that pretty much capture the essence? Oh, wait, and there was the one other thing too, take an improv class. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would recommend that to anybody in all walks of life. <laughs> cool. Okay, so Laura, where can we find you? You can go to my website, lauradoherty.music.com. Okay. Or you can find me on Instagram, which is at Laura Doherty Music, 
or on Facebook, same thing, Laura Doherty Music. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you post you post on Instagram and Facebook often? I do, probably more so on Instagram. Um, yeah. And I yeah, I try to keep I keep updated with my gigs and um Instagram's a little bit more like day to day, you know, what's kind of going on that week. Um yeah, and then I post yeah, a little bit over on Facebook as well. I was thinking about doing a show on social media because I I ha- I'm more active probably on Facebook than I am on Instagram because I'm like I, I don't know what to share, like what pictures to share, and it always seems like the only time I'm really active on Instagram is right in the middle of concert season where I take mm-hmm. all these pictures and then I post them right away and I'm like mm-hmm. I should probably save these post them 6 months later. Do you have a strategy or do you just yes. like just snap as you go? Like usually if I'm on tour, I'll be posting more on Instagram in the stories of like, this is happening right now. (laughs) I went to Spotify and I found your material and I saw that some of your streams have half a million plays. So you seem to be, I mean, when they they pop up and they have more than half a million uh, Mm -hmm. streams, that's super encouraging. Is it half a million really? (laughs) Well, no, people have... um, People have been asking me, oh, how, you know, how do you get so many listeners on your Spotify page? And honestly, I it had nothing to do with me. I <laughs> so I think what happened is when Spotify started coming around, some of my songs got put on some playlists. And I think Spotify actually did this. Like they took, you know, some of my like far, I, I think is it, I think farmers market maybe is on. Um, yeah, I think some people put me on a playlist, and that has been awesome. Um, and I think that's how my listenership has gone up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really happy about it. But I did. There's nothing special that I did. I just, you know, got my. I distribute my music through CD Baby, or at least I have my five albums, um, and they they get the music on Spotify, and so. Yeah, I'm 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 sort of learning about all the royalties. It gets very overwhelming, you know, oh, yeah. all the uh, uh, the streaming and it's it's just overwhelming of how to navigate doing that and getting on playlists and stuff like if there's times when I just have to like put it aside and <laughs> Yeah. And then also you have to figure out what to do with the uh, $17 that you earned from those half a million plays, yeah, right? I know. Oh, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm cynical there. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it's no, it's so true. The point zero zero. I don't know what yeah, it is. Get her stream. It's yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, I, that's, that could be another whole conversation is, um, and I'm sure you've talked about this with other artists. I was listening to Justin, the podcast you did with him and other folks, um, just how CDs are going away and what, mm-hmm. what can we, you know, what's, how do we adapt to that? And I, I think they're still viable for children's music. Like people still like to have something to hold and to look at, mm-hmm. um, at least for me, but I have seen CD sales go down as, as parents get younger too. Oh Yeah. Streaming music, they don't have CD players. I noticed when I tour in New York City, nobody buys CDs because I think not a lot of people are driving around in the right. city, and they're you know they stream everything. Mm-hmm. So, but then you know, in here in the Midwest, I still sell CDs. And libraries still buy CDs, and so um, they 
they're still, you know, they're still, I know they're going to go away at some point, but. <laughs> well, it's, it's a, yeah, it's still a very tangible medium. And I think that there's a thing, I think there's a couple things. There's the technology aspect of where you're talking about with cars, because that's really the last best place for CDs to be played. Yeah. We, so I say that, but then it's also a matter of adoption of technology, I'll say. Whereas I, oh, you know, I've got a new iPhone and I'm all, I think of myself as all hip and techy and progressive. Yep. Not everybody is like that. My mom's not like that. You know, my, my older sister, she isn't on Facebook. She listens to CDs. She listens to her old vinyl. She isn't so much into the new vinyl, but, you know, for her, she drives around in her late model Jeep and that's what she does. Yeah. So I think it's easy. If everybody was like me, nobody would own CDs. But just most people are not like me. They're still right. The minivan, and they're still you know yes spinning CDs because it's you know it just doesn't it isn't saturated the entire market yet. So that's yeah. true. That's remember in different parts, yeah, different parts of the country and and ages of people, yeah, are doing different things. Of mm -hmm. course. Hey, Laura, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Andy. This was so fun. I really appreciate you uh, you popping in, giving us your big three, four. I, I counted like at least six, six <laughs> things in there, which is like double time. It was like awesome. Yeah, I can I can tend to ramble on and probably <laughs> give you six more. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have you back on. Well, maybe, maybe at some point in the future, we'll have you back on. You, we can talk about uh, split personalities, the, uh, the music for, for grownups that you do. And yeah. uh, oh, who knows? Things change, so we'll have plenty to talk about later. So until then, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And that was The Big Three with Laura Doherty. Hey, thanks so much, Laura. That was really fun. Love your music. Love the farmer market thing. <laughs> Love the vibe. Uh, like Chicago, too. I should probably get out there and go and see if I can see her in concert sometime. Well, until next time, this is Cowboy Andy with Barn Banter. The podcast for people who play music for kids by somebody who occasionally plays music for kids. Be well, stay sane. If you want to come on the banter, just drop me a line. If you don't want to come on the banter, don't. And I won't make you come on the show. <laughs> All right, that's it. Bye. Tucked in our beds at night Tall or small, boy or girl